This is from Acts 1 through 3. Now there were in the church in Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Good morning, Redemption Church. What a beautiful song of repentance, turning from sin, forsaking it, and running to the Lord Jesus Christ. My name's Stephen. I'm one of the leaders and one of the pastors here, and typically I'm up here leading the music. Uh, Dan filled in, doing a great job. Thanks, Dan. Um, And this morning, I get the privilege and the opportunity to get to preach. And this is something I look forward to getting to do, and I pray God would use me to speak truth into our lives and shape us to live all of life, all for Jesus. And uh, heads up, I've been under the weather kind of for a while now, so uh, if I just want to give you a heads up. Things could get a little exciting, especially for you in the front row here. Uh, just if any violent noises come out of my mouth, uh, we'll just see what happens. I want to keep you on your toes a little bit here. Uh, we're back in the book of Acts, in all seriousness. And uh, we're in Acts 13, as you saw. And last week, we had a standalone sermon on relationships. If you weren't here last week, you're really going to want to check this out. Dave preached it. It was fantastic. Um, if you have questions on relationships or you have questions on just candidly, how, how the church has treated women um, in relation to, we talk about brothers and sisters as the family of God. You're going to want to listen to this. It was really, really helpful and good, and I pray it was shaping. Uh, I don't want you to get up now, though, and go listen to it, because that would do some really damaging stuff to my self-esteem. So please, <laughs> please don't do it. Or it might be really refining for me. I don't know. So uh, if you want to be an instrument of sanctification, I guess do it. Uh, where we left off in the book of Acts, though, was the church under persecution. We got Peter getting in, you know, jailed. We got uh, James being killed. We had this unique situation with Herod being struck down in judgment. And yet the church is, is growing. It's increasing and multiplying. And it's important for us, again, we've, we've said this almost every single Sunday. It's important for us to remember that this is the acts of God. Not the acts of the apostles, but it's the acts of God through the apostles. Because today our shift, we're going to see a shift from, from the apostle Peter to the apostle Paul. And although the shift of apostle changes, the main character stays the same, God. Luke, who wrote this book of the Bible, Acts, um, wants to make something abundantly clear. It is God, the Holy Spirit, who is the one moving the church to accomplish Jesus's mission. He's making that abundantly clear. So if you're taking notes, I got three things for us. They're going to kind of serve as overarching points for our time to guide us. They're going to help us track. So here's where we're going. The Holy Spirit speaks. The Holy Spirit sends, and the Holy Spirit empowers. So that's where we're heading today. Uh, and it's, it's interesting, uh, Dave actually uh, made sure to, to let me know this. So I didn't grow up in uh, a Catholic or an Anglican or maybe a Presbyterian or maybe a, a higher church, for lack of a better term, background, Orthodox, etc. Um, and today is historically Pentecost Sunday. Uh, where the church has historically looked back to like Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit descended, where the Spirit filled the early church, and it's this turning point in all of history. And the church pointedly celebrates and remembers that on this Sunday. So it's kind of cool that ironically, and I don't know if it is ironically, God's sovereign, he does whatever he wants to do, that as the church, and we just prayed for the church here in the city, 
But there are millions of Christians all over the world right now focusing on the Holy Spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit, praying to the Holy Spirit, asking the Holy Spirit to guide in a pointed way on this Pentecost Sunday. And they've done this for thousands of years. So it's kind of cool that we get to play a part in that. I think that's pretty interesting. So uh, we don't want to hear just my words. We want to hear God speak to us, and we have his word. So if you don't have a Bible, would you please raise your hand? We want to get one into your hands. There's going to be some people here that want to make sure you have a Bible. If you don't own a Bible, this is a gift to you. We want to make sure that every person has the word of God accessible to them. Uh, We want to make sure you can read it, study it, learn from it, and grow. As I just even said, my words, I pray, are somewhat helpful. This is the very word of God. Study it, get in it, learn it. Um, As they're passing out Bibles, again, if you don't have one, raise your hand. If you need one in Spanish, just indicate so. Uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to get to work. And again, if you still need those Bibles, keep those hands up as I pray. God, would you please move in a significant way this, this Sunday? I am not eloquent enough, powerful enough, influential enough, wise enough to do much of any help here this morning. I pray that you would work through me. Uh, God, thank you that you're in me as a Christian. Holy Spirit, thank you for filling me. I pray that you'd speak through me in mighty ways. God, I pray that this would be helpful. Speak through your word to do what only it can do. Expose hearts. Change lives. Use this time to that end for your glory. Lord, our joy and our good. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, if you got your Bibles, let's pick it up in chapter 12, verse 25. Point one, the Holy Spirit speaks. And it's got all the scriptures going to be up here on the screen too. Verse 25. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem where they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Now there were there in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who's called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So Saul and Barnabas, they finish their missionary journey to Jerusalem. And they, were, and they returned to Antioch. And as we learned earlier in Acts, Saul, whose name is also Paul, if you're confused there, we'll get to that at the end of this text. Um, Saul's first missionary journey was a famine relief mission. It was his first missionary journey. It was a famine relief mission. When we think of Saul or we think of Paul's missionary journeys, we think of planting churches, we think of evangelism, which is absolutely crucial. I mean, my family moved out here to help plant this church. I mean, we believe in this stuff. But we also, uh, we, don't, we don't think about famine relief when we think about Saul or Paul's ministry. We need to expand our view on what it means to be on mission for God. It cannot be reduced to, to, to merely going to a foreign country and building something. It can't be reduced to taking a college student through a gospel tract. It's certainly not less than that. It is so much more. We expand our view on what it means to be on mission for God. Um, God is reconciling all things to himself through the person and work of Jesus Christ. So your mission field, church, is your neighborhood and your workplace. It is your local park and your living room. It is Guatemala. We're sending a team of people to Guatemala to help serve and minister there. Don't hear me at all saying we're opposed to going overseas and ministering to people over there. We're just saying it's not less than that, it's more. It's Guatemala and the grocery store. In all of life, in all of it, proclaiming the Lordship of Christ, amen? I'm going to be asking for amens as we go, uh, which simply means I agree, that you would agree. Look at chapter 13, verse 1. We can go back to it here. At first glance, it just seems like a list of names. And uh, let's be honest, we know what to do with a list of names when we come to it in the Bible. Skip it. Like, skim it if you're really, you know, spiritual. You might even give it a glance over there, you know, you might skim it. Uh, 
let's be honest, like Matthew 1, Adam, boom, 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 just keep going. And Matthew 2, like you flip over there. But in all seriousness, uh, this, this list of names tells us something significant. You shouldn't do that, by the way. Uh, but this, don't hear that as like, ah, oh, that's normal. The pastor told me I can do that. Like every aspect of God's word is, is breathed by him and profitable. But uh, these list of names, they tell us something significant. Uh, Simeon called Niger literally means uh, Simeon called black. That's not a derogatory anything in that. It's, it's uh, descriptive here. And Lucius called Cyrene. That's modern-day Libya. What this text is telling us is we got diverse leadership in the church. We got diverse leadership in the church. See, we got, we got Africans. We got, we got Jews. We got uh, Saul from modern-day Turkey. We got Barnabas from Cyprus. We got this guy, Manan, who's almost certainly a Palestinian uh, Jew, who's, if you, if you don't catch what this member of the court this is interesting, as I was doing some studying here. Uh, this is a Christian who's kept his integrity and faith even in a corrupt political context. Applications abound. Let us pray that God would raise up some Manaeans who would fill city hall and boardrooms and positions of power with the good news of Jesus Christ that would let all of their power be for the good of others and the glory of God, which would produce a great joy in them. Amen. Let's raise up some Manaeans. Maybe we as the church need to also say that going into politics is just, a calling, just as much a calling of God as going into the pastorate, huh? The priesthood of all believers. Pick it up in verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, remember that's our point, the Holy Spirit speaks, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul to the work that I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Healthy churches are led by healthy leaders. And you're only a healthy leader if you're a healthy disciple. You're only a healthy leader if you're a healthy disciple. Healthy leaders only exist where worship of and obedience to Jesus is central to their lives. You can't be a healthy Christian. You can't be a healthy disciple, which means follower of Christ. You can't be that if you're not saturating yourself in the scriptures, if you're not saturating yourself in prayer, if you're not saturating yourself in a gospel-centered community. These are the means by which we grow. These are the means by which we experience grace. These are the means by which we mature and, and, and walk in health. And I want to ask you, how about you? Where are you at in true health? Are you in the word? Are you in prayer? Are you in a gospel-centered community? I don't just mean friends. I mean, who in your life loves you enough to put a finger in your chest and say, this does not honor God? This is not good for you. Who in your life, it calls out the sin in your life. And do you receive it as love? Are you in gospel-centered community? Community that, yes, calls out your sin, but even maybe more importantly, points you to Jesus. As we just sang about, we'll run to you, turning from our sin, right? Like, who in your life has the freedom and license to do that, or do you push them away every time they do so? Is your proverbial check engine light on? Let's be honest, we got a lot of work here to do, church. This talks about fasting. We, we struggle enough with prayer, much less withholding food for a period of time, and I'm preaching to myself. Jesus says, abide in me. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And he means it. Let us go to the source of life, church. Let us go to that which will really satisfy for nothing else will other than Jesus Christ alone. And notice, it's in this context of worship 
that the Holy Spirit speaks in profound and clear ways. So a couple observations I want to pull from this text because I I think it's significant. One, these diverse leaders are worshiping the Lord together. There is unity in diversity. We talk about this a lot at Redemption. But oh, may we be a church here, Redemption Tucson, that is a church like the church in Antioch, a church that, that there are diverse leaders in and of the people who are raised up. That we be a church where majorities and minorities are represented and lead together. May we be a church where the powerful and the powerless are pastored. May we be a church where black and white, old and young, rich and poor, we all come together and worship the Lord Jesus Christ in unity in the midst of our diversity. Amen? May that be true of us. May that be true of us. So these diverse leaders, they're worshiping together uh, and also The Spirit speaks. Again, our overarching point, the Spirit speaks. God speaks to these diverse leaders. He doesn't just speak to the guy who writes books of the Bible. He doesn't just speak to Paul. He speaks to all of them. And this is key. They obey. They obey. See, it it might be tempting to say something like, man, I wish God would speak to me like that. You know, it says like the Spirit spoke in this this profound way. I wish the Spirit would speak to me like that. Or wouldn't it, it would just be so much easier if God gave me like Moses, a burning bush, right? And then I'd know what to do and then I could follow the Lord and I could uh, obey him and I could honor him and then I'd know what to do with my life. If I could just have God speak to me. And someone in our redemption community recently said something to the effect of, Basically, wouldn't it be great if God spoke to us clearly? Kind of in this longing tone. Like, wouldn't it be great if God spoke to us clearly? Church, he has. It's called the Bible. God has spoke to us clearly. He has spoken to us abundantly clearly. It's called the Bible. There's this funny piece of satire. Some of you guys might know something called the Babylon Bee. Some of their stuff I think is really funny. Some of it I could care less for. But um, there's this funny piece of satire, and it said, uh, man sitting literally three feet from Bible asked God to speak to him. That's funny. (laughs) Because it's true, right? Like, God, would you just speak to me? Like, read. Like, there you are. Um, If you want to hear God speak, open your Bible. If you want to know God's will for your life, open your Bible. It's not going to tell you who to marry, and it's not going to tell you what toothpaste to buy, sorry, um, but it will tell you the true story of the world and how we're called to live in it, how we're called to live in it, how we're called to honor and love and serve and magnify and glorify the author of the story, Jesus Christ. That's, you want to know God's will for your life, open your Bible. This is God's will for you, that you would honor Jesus. Church, we have something closer to us that speaks than a burning bush. We have something closer to us. It's the Holy Spirit inside of us and a Bible in our hands. Amen? So the Holy Spirit speaks. Point one. The Holy Spirit speaks. And number two, the Holy Spirit sends. Let's pick it up in verse four. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, that's our, that's our point here. Being sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. They're sent by the Holy Spirit to the island of Cyprus. That's in the Mediterranean Sea. 
And, and Saul and Barnabas, remember, they're coming from Jerusalem. They're coming from Jerusalem on a famine relief mission. And that to get to Antioch, they would have had to go uh, past Samaria, Samaria out of Judea to Antioch, now over to Cyprus. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, now to Cyprus. This should be getting our gears turning. This should, this should call us to remember Jesus' words in Acts 1, his mission plan. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. This is happening. This is happening. The Holy Spirit is advancing Jesus' mission because the Holy Spirit is God, and it's all God's mission. And I'll be, on, I'll be candid with you guys. I struggled where to go from here. Do I just keep rolling with Acts or do we take an aside? And I felt like, I felt compelled that we can't just keep rolling on. We need to spend a little bit of points of time talking about who the Holy Spirit is, what he does. Because if we're honest, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, there's more confusion than clarity. I think there's more confusion than clarity. One kind of silly example that I had to recheck to make sure this is the case because this used to be true and I need to make sure it still was. Uh, I did a Google search on, uh, just typed in the Holy Spirit, clicked images. It's awesome. Uh, you, got, you got a lot of doves. You got a lot of fire. And if you're lucky, you got doves on fire. So <laughs> if, if that doesn't clear it up, I don't know what else does. Uh, I, we good? Let's respond together. Uh, like, like, I don't think that, I, I get why those images are there because they're biblical pictures, but I don't think it creates any sense of clarity on who the Holy Spirit is. Like a dove on fire. Like, I don't, I don't think that's like, I got it now. I'm good. Like, move on. Get back to Acts. Like, I think there's a lot of confusion when we talk about this. And I can't go into everything I want to go into right now because that's a totally different sermon. So I'm going to be going a little bit quick through this. But I'm going to need your help. And I'm going to maybe, maybe tap into some idols here uh, and flip them back at you. You claim, University of Arizona, that we're this academic powerhouse. Let's, let's put our money maybe where our mouth is here a little bit. Um, it's summer break. I know some of you are students and you thought maybe you were going to get off. Well, you went to the wrong church if you think you don't have to use your mind here at Redemption Tucson. So uh, Jesus calls us to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let's do that together. A couple things if you're taking notes. The Holy Spirit is a person and not an impersonal force. The Holy Spirit is a person and not an impersonal force. I think this is where most of our confusion comes from. And, and when I say the Holy Spirit's a person, I don't mean he's a human being. I don't mean he's six foot tall. I don't mean he's 175 pounds, a little bit stocky. I don't mean he's got blonde hair and, you know, blue eyes or anything like that. I don't mean he's a human being. I mean, he's a person who has personality and personhood. What I mean is the Holy Spirit is not an abstract, impersonal force. He, he has a mind and a will and emotions and personality. <clears throat> Excuse me. In other words, he is not an it. He is not an it. I had a guy, he was probably well-intended. I was in youth group growing up. And he told me, you know what? What's one really helpful way to think about the Holy Spirit? It's kind of like, uh, like the force from Star Wars. No, no, he's not. Like, no, he's not. I got some really bad theology for that. Again, this guy's probably well-intended. That is not what the Holy Spirit's like. He's not some impersonal force. He is a person who speaks, who has a will. Jesus says the Holy Spirit's our helper who speaks and guides and directs us. Paul's going to later write that the Holy Spirit's a person who can be grieved. You can't grieve an impersonal force. I might have gone to Chico State, not an academic powerhouse, but I do know one thing. You can't grieve electricity. Like, we got that part right. Like, you can't grieve electricity. The Holy Spirit's a person. We tracking? Holy Spirit's a person. 
Also, the Bible unapologetically, emphatically, and repeatedly says that the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. He exists before creation in Genesis 1. Psalm 139 says he's everywhere. The theological term would be omnipresent. 2 Corinthians 2 says that he knows everything. That'd be the theological term of omniscience, that he bears all the divine attributes of God. That means all the characteristics that make God unique, the Holy Spirit has. Also in Acts 5, which we read a few weeks back, Peter gives maybe the clearest picture in Scripture of who the Holy Spirit is God. Can we turn to it real quick here? He says, Peter said to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? You have not lied to men, but to God. You have not lied to men, but to God. When Jesus gives his great commission, I command you to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He's putting the Holy Spirit on the same platform as the Father and the Son. And when we talk about the Holy Spirit being God, it's here that we have to address the doctrine of the Trinity. We have to talk about it. The nature of God is that he is a Trinity. You want to talk again about complex and maybe, again, more confusion than clarity, this would be a subject. When I mean Trinity, to maybe hijack some theology textbooks here, it, we're talking about we believe in one God, the Trinity. We believe in one God who exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each member of the Trinity is uniquely and fully God, and yet there is one God. J.I. Packer, one theologian, says this about the Trinity. Perhaps it is, the Trinity is perhaps the most difficult thought that the human mind has ever been asked to handle. It is not easy, but it is true. I'll be honest, I get a lot of comfort from that because J.I. Packer is a whole lot smarter than me. The Trinity is hard to understand. So, so we try to create pictures to explain it. And, and some people say, maybe you've heard this, it's like water. It's, you know, one H2O molecule with, you know, liquid and solid and gas. Or it's like an egg. You know, you got one egg, but there's a shell and a white and a yolk. And if that's been helpful for you, I'm glad. I don't know if it's that helpful. Because candidly, I don't want to worship a God who's like an egg. Like, I don't want to worship a God who's like an egg. That's like, he's just like an egg. Like, I, I, I'm not, and I'm not trying to like knock that. Like, I'm just being honest. Like, I take great comfort in knowing there's no analogy that can fully explain the Trinity. I take comfort knowing I'm not that smart and like God's beyond me. I take comfort in that. The knowing like, I can't wrap my mind completely around who God is. He's actually beyond me. I take comfort in that. Like, I take comfort in knowing that God is altogether unique and there's nothing in creation that could accurately reflect his complexity, his beauty, his splendor. I take comfort in that. And I want to call you to as well. To quote Tyler Johnson, lead pastor of Redemption Church, he says, there will always be mystery or else it wouldn't be faith. There will always be mystery or else it wouldn't be faith. Not saying check your mind out at the door. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But there's going to be some mystery to this thing. I hope as that's helpful as we kind of get back into Acts 13. I hope that's helpful. I hope that creates more clarity than confusion. I hope I didn't just add to the confusion in that. I hope that's helpful. So to kind of recover this thing, uh, the Holy Spirit is a person. He is God. He is God in us. 
Jesus says about the Holy Spirit that he dwells with you and will be in you. We talked about this, this event called Pentecost. That is the day that the Holy Spirit descended and dwelt with his people and inside of his people. Our good God, he's near church, amen? So getting back to our text, the Holy Spirit, he's sending Saul, he's sending a Barnabas to Cyprus. God is ascending God, remember our point. And God keeps moving things forward through the worship, he moves things forward through the prayer of his people and the preaching of his people. Jesus' commission, again, it's coming to life. But I think we remember the places more than we remember the beginning of the commission. We can't forget the beginning of Jesus' commission. Can you turn there to Acts 1.8 as we look at this commission? But you will receive what? Power. Let's try that again. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's as if Jesus is saying, maybe to quote Eric Mason, a pastor in Philadelphia, before you're going to be my witness, you're going to need some power. Before you're going to be my witnesses, you're going to need some power because guess what? You're not strong enough. We're not strong enough. But good news, when we're weak, we're strong. My power is made perfect in weakness, as Paul would quote both times. This brings us to our third point. The Holy Spirit speaks, the Holy Spirit sends, and the Holy Spirit empowers. Pick it up in verse 6. When they had gone through the whole island of Cyprus, as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. I mean, son of Jesus, Bar, son of Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, Elymas, Bar-Jesus are the same person, to be clear. Elymas, Bar-Jesus, same person. The magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. What we have here is nothing short of a collision of power. What we have here is nothing short of a collision of power. So you, you enter this Bar-Jesus character who's named Elemis. I'll probably refer to him now as Elemis, okay? So Elemis, he's a false prophet and he's a magician. Don't picture Harry Potter, okay? Like, I like Harry Potter. I'm of the age that I was maybe raised on a little bit. Uh, Self-control. Um, Magic in this period, there's a lot I want to say. Uh, magic in this period was about trying to, to heal and curse and control and bless. It was about trying to foretell the future, trying to manipulate people and things. Uh, magic was about power, in short. Magic was about playing God. That's what magic in this time period was. And, and where do we find this? Paul's going to call him demonic here in a moment. Where do we find this demonic magician who's, who's set? Where do we find him, this false prophet, setting up shop? We find him with the proconsul, which not to get into Roman government structure and history, because that would bore us. Um, th this is a very, very powerful Roman politician. And, and, this Elemis, this magician, he is with this very powerful Roman politician. He's in the halls of power. He's in the place where decisions are being made. He is leading astray those who are deceiving the people. He's leading astray those who would be leading the people. He's trying to deceive the leaders. And church, we got to wake up. We need to wake up. Satan and sin and demons are real. They're real. 
We are in a battle and we're blind to it. Let me just say, what a victory Satan has won when we do not realize we're in a war. Church, you have a real enemy who really hates you. He hates your faith. He hates your family. He hates your marriage. He hates everything about you that is good and true. And he wants to kill you. He wants to kill your marriage. He wants to kill your integrity, your witness, your faith. He wants to kill your family. He wants to destroy everything about you that you hold that points you to Christ. Look at me. Satan, demons, their job is not, their goal is not to scare you. Their goal is to impede you and prevent you from seeing and savoring the beauty of Jesus Christ. Their, their goal is not to scare you, but to impede you. This is why Jesus calls Peter Satan in the gospel. It's not that Peter's trying to scare Jesus. He's, he calls him Satan because Peter says, you aren't going to go to the cross. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. If you're trying to impede me, from the mission and the calling God has given me. You're trying to put a stumbling block to the truth. You're trying to impede the truth and impede me and impede people from seeing it. Peter was acting like Satan, impeding. And Elymas here is impeding the proconsul from seeing and hearing the good news of Jesus. He's acting demonic by impeding the truth. Pick it up in verse 9. Let's see the collision. See where power comes from, who really has it. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, don't miss that, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him, at Elymas, and said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you. And guess what? His hand is strong. And you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately mist and darkness fell upon him. And he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. And then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. The magician is blinded and the proconsul sees. The magician is blinded. And the one who he was trying to blind sees. It's beautiful, beautiful creative uh, irony in this. And we also see when God's power is made manifested, people turn to him in faith. And I want to ask you, I know there are people in this room who have not turned to Jesus yet in faith. Will you? Will you turn to the Lord of all power? Will you surrender to him? Will you bow to him in allegiance and affection? Will you turn to Jesus in faith? And also don't miss this. The person who was originally blinded by God in Acts, it's Paul. Paul was blinded by the resurrected Jesus, by the power of Jesus. He was blinded by it. He had to be led away by others for a time. This same person who was blinded by the resurrected Christ is being used by God, and the power of God is being made manifest to blind those who would deceive people from seeing and savoring the beauty of Jesus Christ. Again, God's story is beautiful. The, the paradoxes and the ironies and the parallels, it's a beautiful, beautiful story, and it's true. 
And now Paul is being led to the ends of the earth because he sees Christ for who he really is, as glorious. And don't miss how Paul describes this guy, Elymas. He describes this demonic false prophet. He describes him as an enemy of righteousness, an enemy. Don't forget we're in a war. It's an enemy of righteousness. Deceit and villainy making crooked the straight path of the Lord. Picture a broken bone. God is making straight and healing and restoring and setting things the way they ought to be. And the enemy comes and makes them crooked and broken. See, the great lie of sin, the great lie of sin is that it's good and fulfilling and that it's enough and that it will satisfy. But church, sin lies. Satan lies. But the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. He is the word of truth. And the truth will set you free. Amen? The truth will set you free. And don't miss that Saul is now called Paul. This echoes, this points to a reality that to be in Christ is to be made new. We're not merely forgiven. It is absolutely that, but it's so much more. We are made new in Christ. See, in Christ, Paul has a whole, he's a whole new person with a whole new identity, a whole new destiny, a whole new reality. Paul is born again to a new life of resurrection power. From the Spirit. Luke won't let us miss it as it says in verse 9 that Paul is filled with the Spirit. He is filled with the Spirit. This is not his strength. This is not Paul mustering up his strength, flexing his muscle as I'm an apostle and I'm going to write books of the Bible. You're going to do this. Like this is him filled with the Spirit. Who is the one who is strong here? It's not Paul. It's the Holy Spirit. It's God himself that is strong. Look at what Paul says in Romans 8.11. This is going to be the last text we look at here. Romans 8.11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Christian, you have resurrection power in you. You have power in you. The same spirit who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you and will give life to your mortal bodies. You don't have to submit any longer to a spirit of slavery and sin. You have power in you. You have power in you. Do not submit. You know who you are as a child of God, as a son or a daughter of God. You have power in you. And a lot of times in, in reformed churches and in, in, in churches like ours, there's, there's a tendency to just beat people with their sin. Like you are a sinner who needs Jesus and needs saving. And we confess our sin every week, but we also need to stand and remember that's not who you are anymore. He died on that cross already. That identity is dead. You have a new identity of resurrection power. Now live in it. That's good news. That's good news. Greater is he who, who works in us than he who is in the world. Great, you know what? God is stronger than Satan. God is stronger than sin. God is stronger than your past, and he's stronger than your idols. That's hope. But let's be honest. This text is a little bizarre. Like, I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, that's normal. Like, this text is like magicians, blindness, demons. Like, 
I'm not going to sit here and I'm like, oh, that's normal. Like, this, this, is, this is a bizarre situation that's happening. Somebody's getting blinded by, like, words being spoken. I've never seen that. God's working in a unique way right now. But a consistent theme in the Bible is, is God will act in miraculous, in, in supernatural, in profound ways when false gods, when idols challenge God's power. This is a consistent theme of the Bible. You got Pharaoh and Moses, right? Like that, that is a duking out of who is truly deity. Faraday, Faraday. Pharaoh was a deity in the flesh. He was God in the flesh, which was like God saying, there is one God incarnated and it's not Pharaoh, it's Jesus Christ. Like these plagues were about, oh, you worship the sun? You worship the Nile? I created the Nile. It's now blood and darkness. Like God's showing where power comes from and it's not from these false gods. God's also showing one of my favorite stories in the Bible is when a guy named Elijah sets up against these prophets of Baal, a false god. And he says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to find out who the true God is. We're just going to set up a sacrifice. And the one who fire comes down on, that's the real God. Agreed? They agree. And then they build it. And Elijah starts dumping water on his sacrifice. Just dumping water, dumping water, dumping water. And he says, you start. Silence from Baal, this false god. Well, no, duh, he's not real. Like, he's not God. And he says, where's your God? Maybe he's out relieving himself. That's <clears throat> what the Bible says. Hey, maybe, he's, maybe he's out on a walk. Maybe he's out on a stroll. Maybe he can't hear you. Then what does he do? He says, God, reveal yourself. Boom! Like, fire engulfs everything. Like, God, is, when it comes time to say, who is God? Where is power, like, from? He's going to move in a significant way in, in the history of Scripture. You also got Herod a few weeks ago. Herod sitting on the throne and the people chanting the voice of God and not a man, the voice of God and not a man. Like, and God's like, no, boom, and just puts an end to the confusion, puts an end to this false proclamation of power. And what is happening here with Paul and the magician is God is revealing that he alone is the Lord of power. And notice, I love this. There's no great battle here. It's not like Paul walks up and does one of the like crack the neck and like, here we go, like Elemis, let's do it. Like there's no battle here. There's not like duke it up and like Elemis is like, no. Like, and there's no, con there's no conflict even here. This is a one punch knockout. This is, this is a joke. This is no contest of power. Paul says it through the power of the Holy Spirit and it happens. There's not even resistance there's not even resistance. There's no battle here. It's God says happens. Like, this is what's going on here. There is no contest. This magician, this symbol of power, is immediately struck blind by the Lord through the words of Paul. And he is revealed, this magician, this demonic false prophet, he's revealed for what he really is, a liar who has no true power at all. And in closing, God is committed to doing the same thing in our life. Dismantling our idols. Revealing the unsatisfying nature of sin. He's unraveling whatever we would ascribe life and power to that isn't God. And it's a grace for him to tear it all down. It's God's grace that he does this. For God is content to only give us that which will truly satisfy himself. God is content to give us that which, and he's only content to give us that which would truly satisfy. 
which is nothing short of himself. And I want you to, to look at me, church. This, there's more good news. Like this story, it's no contest. Your sin is not too strong. Your addiction is not too strong that God cannot loosen its grip. Your idol is not too majestic that God cannot bring it crashing down. Nothing you have done and nothing that's been done to you stains you so deep that the blood of Jesus Christ cannot wash clean. Our God is stronger. His grace is stronger. His love is stronger. His peace is better. His joy is better. The glory of God is truer. He loves you, Christian. God loves you. He died for you. He rose again in power, and he gives his spirit to you as a guarantee of these realities. The spirit calls us to see Christ. The spirit empowers us and helps us and fills us to be able to live for Christ. He changes our hearts. If you're a Christian, it's only because the Spirit has given you eyes to see Christ for who he truly is. The Spirit empowers us. He illuminates our mind. He convicts us of sin, and he sends us into the world empowered to live all of life, all for Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's respond to this God who is so gracious and kind, the Spirit who speaks to us and sends us and empowers us. Let's respond to him now. Let's pray. God, you are so good to us. Holy Spirit, thank you for indwelling us and filling us. Thank you for empowering us. Thank you for giving us a new identity, a new hope. Thank you for changing our hearts. God, we did not go on some search for you. You sought us and saved us and called us and, and redeemed us and reconciled us. You gave us your spirit as a guarantee of these realities. Thank you, Jesus, for pursuing us at great cost to yourself, death on a cross. Spirit, you are so powerful and good and you give gifts to your people and you empower us. You give us a, a distaste of sin and an appetite for holiness. Help us to continue that. Empower us to repent, to turn from sin and turn to Jesus. Holy Spirit, change our lives. You alone have the power for us to walk uh, the life that you're calling us to walk in. Holy Spirit, thank you for writing the scriptures. Give us a mind that would understand it and comprehend it and love it. Help us to respond to your love now. Thank you, God. You complex, splendor, awesome, majestic God. You're so good. In your name, amen.